Welcome back to the podcast that always thinks outside the box. Beethoven walks into a bar. I'm Stephanie Brimhall, the Director of Education and Community Engagement with the Kansas City Symphony. And I'm Mike Gordon, Principal Flute of the Kansas City Symphony. Hey, hey, Mike. Yeah? Why was the mime arrested? Oh, oh, I don't know. He committed an unspeakable crime. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wait, hey, Mike. Hey, Mike. Oh, yeah. Mike, what's the first rule about Mime Club? Um, Don't speak about Mime Club. Oh, <laughs> yes, it's sure. A, it's a fight club joke. Hey, hey, Mike, hey, Mike. Yeah. What what knife does a mime use to cut bread? Um, a charaded knife. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> All right, then. Uh, well, well, for any listeners who are left, uh, that's enough of that. And, uh, well, as you can probably tell, we are gearing up for a performance with two of our favorite mimes in just a few short days. And um, Stephanie felt inspired uh, to remind us of the great dad jokes of uh, our dear friend Jason Sieber. So that was an excellent homage. The dad jokes of your. The dad jokes of your. <laughs> but uh, today's guests have been introducing audiences uh, of all ages to music and theater since the 70s. And we are absolutely thrilled to welcome them back to Heltzberg Hall on November 6th for The Listener. Welcome to the show, Magic Circle Mimes' Doug McIntyre and Maggie Peterson. Welcome. Nice to be here. Thank you. <laughs> Hello. We talk. They speak. We talk. They speak. We talk. <laughs> the mime speaks. That's, I, will, I can't lie. That has been the joke around the office and the orchestra <laughs> when we said that we were going to have our mime friends on the podcast, whether or not it was going to be a silent show or it was just going to be me and Mike with these really awkward pauses. So uh, <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very relieved to hear and our audience is relieved to, to hear your voices. But um, let's start first just with how the two of you met and formed this amazing mime company that, that you tour with all over the place. Well, Maggie, do you want to answer this, or do you want me to do this one? <laughs> she's she's miming. She's yeah, miming. She's miming. You. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Maggie and I uh, met very uh, serendipitously. Um, I had gone to school in Spokane, uh, Washington, and uh, I was uh, doing <clears throat> an educational concert. Uh, with the Spokane Symphony. And I got a call uh, from my brother who was filling in for a professor on sabbatical at Montana State University in Bozeman, uh, where Maggie goes to school. And uh, my brother had called her into his office because she was about to graduate. And he said, well, what do you want to do after you graduate? And she said, well, I think maybe I'll go into teaching, but I really love mime. And he said, oh, I know a mime. Let's call him. (laughs) (laughs) So I got a call out of the blue and uh, talked to Maggie. And uh, she came to Spokane and uh, worked. We worked together in some dinner theater productions. And in that, I learned that she's also a pianist. And uh, it was kind of a... Great thing, I had been touring all year with with the Spokane Symphony doing an educational concert that was done in schools, and we would bus all over um, uh, eastern Washington and Idaho, up into British Columbia, 
And for the final concert, the musicians all said, you know, we always play a gag on the conductor for the last concert. <laughs> and since it's your show, you have to come up with the gag. Well, and, and the show was The Listener. And um, when uh, uh, I thought about it, I went, you know, I have this part where I auditioned to sing opera with the orchestra, uh, which doesn't work out, obviously, very well. So in this particular concert, I, I conspired with the stage manager, and we hid Maggie in a drum box, bass drum box. So when it came to that part of the program, I went over and knocked on the box, and out pops Maggie. And she goes over and became my accompanist for for that segment. And uh, needless to say, the gag worked. <laughs> and afterward, the uh, conductor, the music director, Don Tallinn, said, wow, let's do a show next year with two mimes. So and out of that gag, <laughs> and that's how it all got started. So that's my story. I don't know if Maggie would add anything to that or not. I don't need to. That was quite complete. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm curious. So, so the two of you, obviously, you you found what's the what's the verb for mime? Is it mime? Miming? It's mime. Yeah, mime. just yes. mime. You, you can. Yeah. So, you, how did how did the two of you f find your way to mime? I started really early wanting to be a mime. So this is one of those little kid things that said, "Here's what I want to do when I grow up." when everyone else wanted to be a fireman or a nurse or something, and I always wanted to be a mime. There was this TV show on that only our very older listeners will remember, and it was the Red Skelton Show. Mm. And it was on Tuesday nights, and the last 10 minutes of the Red Skelton Show was the silent spot. And he would come out and do a whole 10-minute mime with little sound effects and that sort of thing, and and that was my favorite part of the show. And then a couple times a year, he would have Marcel Marceau on. And of course, when he had Marcel Marceau on the show, I would have to take a nap in the afternoon to be able to stay up late enough to watch Red Skelton and see Marcel Marceau. And, um, and it all was like a dream of mine to be a mime. And so um, I went to the university in Montana and there was a mime teacher back then, and uh, and that's how I met Doug's brother, and that's how that other story began. Wow, that's uh, I mean, what what a thing to to dream of as a kid, and then get to do you know all of your life <laughs> in this way. And it's amazing that you know you in particular were a musician too. There's such a, a I mean, to me, it's an obvious connection between mime and and music, actually, uh, in a similar way that that certainly. Um, there's the same connection between you know dance and ballet, uh, and and orchestra. It's not that different in the way you know you're expressing a story, a feeling, um, what have you. You know, purely with with movement, with motion. And I think I think people have this sort of um, stereotypical idea that they think of immediately when anyone starts talking about a mime. It's you know the the guy <laughs> in the black and white suit, you know, sucking the box, you know. Um, but it's so incredibly expressive, actually, and I I can't wait um, I can't wait to see the program that that you've put together uh, to do with us. So so talk a little bit about um, about your work with orchestras and and what you know particular um, unique or memorable or maybe bad experiences you had <laughs> that that kind of helped you 
you know, form, uh, form your company and form your view of how these art forms could work together? When uh, I was approached about writing an educational concert, um, they didn't know that I had actually played in an orchestra for uh, a French horn through school and up into my college years until I got sucked away to the to the bright lights of theater. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, you know, it, it wasn't something that was totally foreign to me. I, I knew how orchestras worked. It was, and, and so that helped. Um, and I, I, I think uh, Maggie's path to music was a little bit different. I mean, I, I think it's very funny. So I'll turn it over to her about how, what your options were for play the piano or what. <laughs> I don't know if I have a funny story about that, but my mother was a piano teacher, so I naturally went, uh, you know, had to take the piano lessons and, and all that. Um, but it, veering off a little bit from that, um, I think Doug and I both and, and kids even today, you listen to, um, especially when you hear classical music, is that there'll be a piece that you really uh, love so much and then you start forming a story about that piece. Mm -hmm. And, you know, kids dancing around the living room and, you know, making up this whole world of what's happening in this piece of music. Mine was Finlandia for some reason. I had oh, this great. big interpret all this big interpretation of Finlandia when I was a kid and and it was around the dining room table and, you know, that sort of thing. And I think kids still do that. And that that is that is the feeling that we bring into these shows, I think, is that, you know, the piece of music inspires the move. Um, you know, we don't really do a lot of mime technique in the show, but we do the characters. It's, it's mm -hmm. the character wanting to learn something more about the orchestra. Um, Doug always calls it, uh, the orchestra is like a clock. And as a, you can put your hands into the orchestra and, and pull them apart and see what happens in the piece of music. Um, if we're up there kind of pointing out what is happening in the orchestra. So that's, uh, yeah. I think that's something that's really neat about involving, um, you know, any type of theater or dance or anything in addition to um, what we do as, a, you know, just as a symphony on stage, especially with kids, because music is one of those things where you can experience you know, you can close your eyes in a concert and still experience a lot of what's going on. But what I love having something visual accompanying it is that, um, you know, to, to be fully immersed and engaged in the experience, you have to really be focused in. And especially with you all, when you're not creating any sounds yourself, I mean, you really have to hone in and really be engaged. And you guys make it so easy um, to engage in that and then and then kind of the music is happening around you at the same time um, it's just it's a really cool way to introduce kids to to music and to movement and theater and and things like that as well I just I love the collaboration and the partnership and you guys do such an incredible job um, engaging engaging the audience but I I am curious so um, we've worked with you in the past and I've um, you know, I've looked at all of your shows and I know one of the things that you're really good at, you talk about, you know, doing a gag on the conductor. One of the things you're really good at is, you know, you're getting in and you're pulling apart the orchestra a little bit, but you also get the musicians to engage with you a little bit too. 
And I'm curious when you do that. So in this um, this performance of the listener, there's a bit with our our trumpet player that happens, but there's also a bit with the harpist and a bit with the piccolo player, and you know everybody. Um, all of our musicians kind of have to be flexible. Nobody starts in their their right seat, for example. Everybody's kind of scattered a little bit. Nobody's, you know, and that can be a difficult thing for classically trained. You know, I'm going to sit in my chair. This is my chair. It has my name on it. I'm going to play this music. How do you guys go about kind of pulling the musicians out of their shells a little bit? Because you're also incredibly good at that. Well, we're kind of an intermediary between the audience and the orchestra and the conductor. We're, 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 we're kind of, uh, you know, in theater, you, uh, you know, the fourth wall between you and the audience disappears in our shows. We're as much a part of the audience as we are part of the show. So I, I, I think for the musicians, and it is, you know, always <laughs> the first time we work with an orchestra, if we've never worked with them before, you know, you really have to kind of sell the show to them in the rehearsal. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you, you can kind of sense that there's kind of like, well, why are we working with these guys? <laughs> what, are, what do they bring to the ball game? You know, what's this about? Um, but I think first and foremost, I think musicians are, are very pleased that we're very respectful of the music. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when I, Maggie and I write a show, we always try to make sure that we've put a program together that musically stands on its own so that if, you know, our flights got canceled and we couldn't get there. If you just played the music, it would still be a nice concert. Right. So I, I think the musicians respond to that. And the fact that both Maggie and I, albeit Maggie plays much better piano than I play bugle, but the <laughs> fact that we kind of break the wall that direction too, that, that we go onto their turf in a way. Um, and, and then we had a, a one of the, first conductors we worked with, who was really great in saying, you know, you guys have great material uh, and musicians may not always warm up to you, but if they know that you know what you're doing, they'll go along with you. So that gets down to how you, how you rehearse with them and, and how precise you are with what you ask them to do. Never ask them to do something that makes them... <laughs> really uncomfortable you know right, yeah they, right. they, they are stepping out of, of their regular roles uh, but but if it's if it's handled well that way then musicians are, are pretty flexible and then once they hear the audience start to laugh yeah exactly boy that that's when they go okay I'm on <laughs> one of the best uh, uh, reviews for us as when we get to the show and a lot of the musicians have brought their kids. And it usually means to us that they're trusting that we are going to do a show that honors the music and will will bring um, the attention of the kids just fine. And that yeah. helps a lot too. Yeah. I think one of the things that's, that's so great uh, about what you're describing too um, is just that, you know, we play, we play so many shows, uh, you know, whether it be, family concerts, kids concerts, classical, in all contexts where there's, you know, a guest artist, a soloist who's out in front of the orchestra and the audience kind of gets to know them a little bit in one way or another, more so than, 
you know, us because we just sit there, we're a mass of 80 people and we're, you know, focused on the music in front of us. And, and actually, I don't know if people would imagine the extent to which a lot of that reticence, I think, is just that the instrument itself is like a, a security blanket, you know, a, a, a shield from embarrassment of some sort. You know, <laughs> we are very used to performing publicly on our instruments as soon as the instrument goes away or there's something to do in front of people that does not directly involve playing the instrument in the way that we're used to, we we feel, I think, as uncomfortable, as naked, uh, as awkward <laughs> as anyone who doesn't normally sit on a stage in front of people. Um, I think actually revealing a little bit of that uh, insecurity really connects us to our audience in a special way that that we don't have most of the time, you know, because you just come to a symphony concert, we play Beethoven, we look like we know exactly what we're doing and we're very confident and very composed <laughs> and we do it and we go. Um, and we're actually in many ways just as uncomfortable to be on stage as anyone else, except in this very special context. So I think I think the way you're describing, you know, what, what you're going to do with us is just is just terrific and I'm really looking forward to it. And, and I have to vouch for our piccolo player. She's a, uh, well, actually I can't think if Kayla will be playing the show or Shannon, whomever it is, I won't be playing piccolo that show. So you'll be dealing with one of them, but they are both incredible <laughs> sports yeah. and hams oh, and yeah. they will, they will follow you wherever you go. So, uh, I can't wait to see that. Yeah. Yeah, you are are also going to have a uh, quite the duel on your hands with the with the trumpet and the bugle. So, uh. <laughs> and don't forget, we also have a very solo, a very important solo by the cymbal player. Oh yes, oh, oh yes, that's the, that's a big secret. You know, don't tell don't tell the cymbal player that we're gonna you know call call. I won't. And <laughs> actually, that is gonna that might be the best part of the whole thing. <laughs> that, that might that might just be. So I, I, I would love for you to talk a little bit about, so this program is called The Listener, um, and I can't name all of the pieces on it off the top of my head, but some fantastic music that we play all the time, you know, Overture to Candide, uh, we're playing selections from Young Carmen, Guide. Young mm -hmm. Person's Guide of Brit Benjamin Britten, that's a favorite of mine. Um, it's, it's such a wonderful program of music, uh, and you have many other programs that you do with orchestras as well. So do you... Do you um, search for music that you want to put together into a program and then create your mime around that? Is it Does it start with the mime and a story you want to tell and you find music? Is it some of both? Do you collaborate with other people to, to program it? Well, Maggie, I think it's your turn to talk. <laughs> <laughs> Doug and I usually find a piece of music that, we, that gives us the... The, the impetus to to write something and um, and often the piece of music uh, we were going to do something with Till Eulenspiegel once and you know we were working with it and working with it and working with it and trying to interpret this character and these things that went on and all and all of a sudden all the other music was coming into the program and the whole Till Eulenspiegel was was cut but you know it it does just evolve um, you know from those kind of ideas or all of a sudden there's a story about Mozart. We have two Mozart concerts, one of which we perform now, and we dropped the other one because the one was enough. 
But um, you know, then that was a that was a concert about a composer and uh, Peter and the Wolf, of course, is a, a very famous one. And we bring the musicians out on stage to play the bird, the cat, and the duck with us. And um, and so we have uh, nine nine different programs, and most of them just they they evolve usually out of the pieces of music that we're looking at. I want to say that just. Purely selfishly, I want to see this Till Eulenspiegel program <laughs> come into being because that that would be truly incredible. And if you can also find an orchestra that will dedicate the time to uh, rehearse right. it yeah, and prepare it, that, yeah. but that yeah. would be that would be well, amazing. But that's yeah. an interesting point, actually, because when you do. Um, very unlike when when we have somebody come and, uh, for a classical weekend and they're playing Mendelssohn's violin concerto or whatever with us, you know, you get a handful of rehearsals for that. When you guys go to a family show, I know, for example, when you come here, you, we're going to be um, rehearsing once, right? Uh, so we get right. a two and a half hour rehearsal, we take an hour break, and then we do the show. And so it's all happens within a, you know, a short window of time. And because of that, I bet some of your programming ideas have to take that into consideration and how much rehearsal time the, the orchestra actually has to prepare music. Because Till Oil and Spiegel would be a little difficult to put yeah, together on yeah. one rehearsal. By now we're pretty happy we didn't uh, book that, that, that show because it would have never been played. Yeah, yeah. probably not practical, yeah. but really, really an awesome idea. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I've always... Uh, said that working with with music the way Maggie and I do you know when you're when you're being backed up by a full symphony orchestra mm-hmm. that's pretty cool yeah. um and um it's i've always said it's kind of like surfing you know it, you've got you get on this wave of this music and you don't have to do a lot sometimes you just have to not fall over you know it's 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 kind of you know, finding that point. And then some pieces of music, like Till Eulenspiegel, you just go, you know, it's such an expressive, fabulous piece of music that it's almost like the wave is too big to get on. Mm -hmm. Just let it be it. Let it be it. Because it doesn't need us. It's such a great story piece. Well, maybe Maggie needs to write a Finlandia Program. Oh yes, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> I'll need a dining room table and some chairs. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Maybe <that's> a tent. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> some sleeping bags. Yeah. <laughs> um, so okay, so you've had you have a couple Mozart programs. I know you have Peter and the Wolf. You have a new. Um, is there like a space program or a, some kind of inventor oh. or? <clears throat> Orchestra from Planet X yes. is our uh, show about two aliens who show up at a concert. That's right. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's musically, it's it's music of of the Americas. Uh, I want to hang out in your brains just for like a day and just. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, <laughs> Maggie says no. <laughs> it's, it's a scary place. <laughs> yeah, it's odd things or odd things come up. Well, you know, I mean, because so much of what I do, um, our our new associate conductor, Gonzalo Farias, and I are presenting um, our first Young People's Concerts in three years this week. Um, and 
um, Gonzalo and I haven't worked together in this capacity before, so we've been spending a lot of time. We put together a really fabulous program. And I, I realized through COVID what I missed a lot was just the creation and the creativity and putting, you know, putting new things together um, uh, like that. And I think you guys just, you have such a huge, I don't know, there's just like a huge world of possibilities for you to be able to put things together. And, and I, I think that's, that's really neat and inspiring and uh, I I can't wait to get to the listener, but let's talk a little bit about the listener and what um, what this is going to introduce audiences to. I do want to say this is a family show. Obviously, um, you know we're we're inviting families with children, um, you know, all, of all ages. But I think we should we should say that these concerts are for everyone, and um, you know it's it's an hour show. It's uh, just a fun experience with, as we said, great music, a lot of wonderfully entertaining antics. Um, but talk a little bit about the the program of the listener and what the the audience should expect, plus a surprise symbol moment that we won't tell anyone else about. <laughs> well, the uh, the concept of the show is that the conductor is doing a concert about all the different art forms in which the orchestra is involved. Uh, theater, dance, opera, movies, you know, so the, so the orchestra is, is, you know, part of a lot of different art forms. And uh, so that's the, the conductor's intent. Uh, but uh, this um, character who has no real sense uh, shows up <laughs> with the audience and uh, comes up onto the stage at, at the top of the concert. Uh, and uh, the musicians are in that kind of pre-concert mode, you know, where everybody's just kind of getting to their chairs and maybe checking in with each other and noodling on their instruments, you know, as, as, as orchestras do prior to the concert. And uh, I just show up among them and then using the themes from the Britain's Young Person's Guide, the musicians more or less trick me into thinking I can be the conductor. Uh, and then when that goes terribly wrong, the real conductor comes out. And, and so that sets the mood of the, of, of the concert. There's this nitwit, my character, <laughs> <laughs> who just thinks he wants to be part of the orchestra. But everything he tries from the, these, these different art forms goes awry one way or another. Uh, and, and finally, there's a piece, uh, the Mozart, that is, you know, a piece written just for listening. Well, no, <laughs> Maggie and I, she has joined me by then. Uh, and we decide that uh, we need to play the symbols for the Mozart piece. We never do. <laughs> But <laughs> we I hope might. not. <laughs> so it's just this progression of this character uh, trying everything he can think of to become a part of the orchestra and the orchestra world. And eventually he finds his position with the orchestra. And, uh, and uh, I won't say what that is. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, there are a whole lot of conductors who follow this exact same strategy and become quite famous at it. So 
you know, you, if the mime thing doesn't work out, you are halfway there. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The musicians always because because Maggie and I do uh, conduct at various times in in uh, our shows. Uh, Maggie more than me, but but we both do, and and the musicians are always very kind to us. You know, it's like. Oh, we've had we've had conductors worse than you. <laughs> <laughs> you know the the thing that's really funny, and I can't recall if I've I've told this story on the podcast before, but you know we we do we do the fake conductor gag in a few different guises uh, now and then, especially at Christmas time. We'll have a, a a kid from the audience come up and conduct sleigh ride. You know, orchestra musicians, we are such well trained idiots in some <laughs> respects. If if we get a kid who like has no idea where the beat is and is just waving randomly, then that doesn't mess us up. If we have a kid who actually knows where the beat is, but you know, they're not actually a conductor, of course, that actually sometimes can mess us up because it's just close enough to what we actually are used to seeing that without thinking we just go off the rails. So it's it's a it's a dangerous thing, a conductor that at least knows where the beat is. <laughs> but I so I, I do want to ask you both, you know, so you 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 each talked about um you know how you you have uh played instruments, played music uh in your lives. Is is everyone in your troupe also uh, a musician in some capacity because it, it seems to me to to do what what you all do you really do have to be very connected to the music um not only in a in an emotional way but but just in a technical way to understand you know when do i do what how do i how do i uh listen in a way that i can you know follow along and do the right thing at the right time uh, yeah um it has always been you know when maggie and i work together maggie answers the musical questions. Because being a pianist, um, she's more used to looking at scores than I am. So she can look at a score and see what's going on. Me, having been a, a middling horn player, I look at one note at a time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, As one should. Yes. Uh, yeah. That's plenty. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yes, uh, particularly when we do Peter and the Wolf, because as Maggie said, the musicians are actually out in front with their music and us, uh, you know, doing the story. And so it's really important to have uh, for, for Maggie that she can look and know exactly where they are. And she even like whispers little clues to them every once in a while as to where they are or what's coming up next. Um, and Sarah, uh, who uh, also works with us, um, is a, a bassoonist. She uh, graduated mm-hmm, right. from Northwestern in uh, bassoon studies. Um, and so, again, at least one of us has to be able to, yes, answer the technical questions musically and you know, be reassuring to a musician if we have them out there in front with us that we're not going to leave them high and dry. Absolutely. Well, I can't wait to have you guys join us uh, for the listener, which I'm going to keep plugging is November 6th (laughs) (laughs) coming up this Sunday and uh, at two o'clock in Hellsburg Hall. So the listener just I'm just keep keep saying it the listener. We are very excited about getting to Kansas City. Um, Well, you know what? Since we are um, 
we are going to be performing the listener coming up soon. Uh, Mike and I thought it would be fun to bring back a segment we actually haven't done in a while where we just give some recommended listening to our audiences. So this this could be anything that you've been listening to lately, anything that might be on some of your programs that that are coming up. I, I'll start because I don't want to I don't want to make you make you stressed out. But um, I'm going to start with uh, just a callback to just a few moments ago. I'm going to recommend our listeners check out Finlandia because (laughs) (laughs) because who doesn't want to just feel cold and (laughs) and gray for a little while? No, it's a gorgeous piece. So um, I'm going to recommend Finlandia and I'm also going to recommend, which I think I've recommended on this podcast before, but as our young people's concerts are coming up and our family concerts are coming up, um, and uh, we'll hear some excerpts of uh, Britain's Young Person's Guide to the Orchestra. I'm going to recommend we check that out, too. And the Kansas City Symphony has a lovely recording of Britain's Young Person's Guide to the Orchestra. Oh, we do. Mike, what about you? Um, so so I have to confess, uh, my recommended listening is loosely inspired by uh, Apple's iPhone or maybe iMusic, iSomething. Because uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I don't know if anyone else has experienced this, you get in your car, you plug your phone into the CarPlay thing, and sometimes it starts playing the last podcast you were listening to, whether you want to go back to listening to it or not. And other times it plays a random piece of music mm-hmm. uh, or a song, whether you want it to or not. I don't know how to make it stop doing that. It drives me nuts, but it's just part of my <laughs> life now. If I plug in my phone, it starts playing. Um, so, uh, so. Randomly, it started playing uh, this piece, which which I knew, which I love. Uh, it's it's uh, Stravinsky's Chant de Rossignol, or Song of the Nightingale. And it's this unbelievably um, evocative uh, tone poem, which actually started life uh, very early in Stravinsky's career. I believe it was his first uh, opera that he wrote. It's an, it was an opera first, I think just called The Nightingale. And then, and then he got busy writing tunes you know better, like Rite of Spring and Firebird, etc., uh, for Diaghilev, for the ballet. But then he came back to Chante Rossignol, he turned it into this tone poem, he turned it into a ballet as well. And it's this incredible story, um, which I won't summarize uh, right now on the podcast, but uh, you can read about it. But the, the important thing here, and the reason I love it, is there's a big flute moment in it, which um, symbolizes this mechanical nightingale, this mechanical bird that's a character in the story. And I thought, what could be a more perfect piece to listen to or think about whilst we're talking to these two incredibly talented artists, both in music and in mime, than Chant de Rossignol? So, Maggie, I would suggest to you, after you complete <laughs> To Spiegel, when that is a when that is a rousing success... Go on and then come up with a mime to uh, to Chante Rossignol, and it will be even more spectacular. But that's going to be my recommendation for the day. <laughs> I'll get right on that. Yeah. I'm sure you will. You know what I, else I think is great is maybe just an episode or two ago, Mike went on, he was, he was a little defensive when uh, it was implied that the woodwinds needed to be sheep in the Alpine <laughs> Symphony. And Mike, oh, yeah. and Mike insisted that flutists only... Play birds and water. Birds and water. And that was it. <laughs> That's it. It wasn't going to do anything else. Nope. So appropriate, Mike. Good job. Yeah. So do either of you have anything you'd like to recommend our listeners check out? It doesn't even have to be in the classical genre. 
Well, um, I'm going to harken back a bit here. Uh, I, I grew up in a, a town that wasn't much bigger than an orchestra. Uh. And so there, there was no orchestra about. Um, we, had, we had a band, but we didn't have an orchestra. So when I grew up, my parents had me in a record club so that every month or two I would get a record. And just as Maggie said earlier, I would put on the record and then I would act out what I thought the music was about, what what it inspired in me. So uh, I, I, I relate to that. And, and I think the first piece that really grabbed me and have loved ever since and of course i'm a shakespeare actor too so so you know shakespeare is a great love of mine so mendelssohn's midsummer night's dream i think is a mm -hmm. just a fabulous imaginative piece for 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 anyone but as a kid i just i just loved that piece and so i would say that's a great piece to listen to anytime i never get tired of hearing it uh I absolutely agree. And Doug, I will tell you, you're talking to Mike, a flutist, and myself, a clarinetist. And the scherzo, as long as we can just omit the scherzo from the discussion, <laughs> then we'll be fine. Yes, Mike? <laughs> yeah, Ste Stephanie spent a lot of her young life going... <laughs> over and over and over again in a practice room. And and similarly, I went... <laughs> oh, gosh darn it. Okay, let me try that again. Totally agree, though. Love Mid Midsummer Night's Dream. Absolutely. More fun to Excellent. listen to than play? 100%. Yeah, true. <laughs> How about you, Maggie? Oh, I'm going to go bigger. I'm just going to go bigger than... Absolutely, uh, you are. Yeah, I'm going to go bigger than uh, Till Arthur Spiegel. Oh, and um, I, I think, you know... My my one of my one of my favorite composers is Mahler, because and uh, the reason I say that is of course once again we could never do a mime show with a Mahler piece because it would be too hard to you know really produce, but Doug and I always talked about doing one that involved the Mad Maulers that were a motorcycle gang. <laughs> See that <laughs> they all had like leather jackets and they had mad maulers across the back and then they would interpret you know like you know mauler one or something somehow um you know through the through their travels as a motorcycle gang and so you know that's that's the kind of thing i was thinking about um <laughs> You know, I mean, listening listening to a Mahler piece is <laughs> Mahler, <laughs> listening to a Mahler piece is sort of a commitment, you know. But you know, I I that Finlandia, uh, excuse me, I love it. Finlandia comes back, uh, the Brook Violin Concerto. Who can miss that one? Um, right. My my mom and I played uh, when we played the piano together. We played the uh, Beethoven's uh, Symphony Number no. Six, the Pastoral. And if anybody can, you know, if, if you can do anything with listening to the kids and the pastoral symphony. I mean, we'll talk about the most beautiful piece ever. And my mom and I would play the whole thing on the piano, duets. Oh, wow, that's cool. Wow. And and that's absolutely a piece that you can really pull some characters and some, you know, some interpretation out of movement-wise, too. I mean, yeah. I should play that for my kids and make them come up with a, a story. 
And then and then you and Michael could pretend to be sheep again. <laughs> Absolutely. Because that is what we do in our spare time. That's what we do. Well, well, speaking of animals, <laughs> I, I think a great piece is The Bull on the Roof, because it is such a oh. wacky piece uh, and, and great fun. I, I, I'm struggling with the composer's name right now, um, Spanish. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to check that out yeah. here. Bull on the roof. Oh, is that um, three cornered hat guy? Oh, d- uh, Faya. Defaya, thank you. Defaya. <laughs> awesome. Well, you know what? Speaking of Beethoven and Beethoven Six, you know this is a a podcast called Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. Actually, can I? I'm going to tell you a quick story. I was at a school yesterday, and um, it was a, a high school, and um, I actually told this story about flutes uh, playing the parts of birds and how Mike said on the podcast that he didn't want to play a sheep. He wanted to play a bird. And one of the high school students raised their hand and said, oh, what's the name of your podcast? I want to check it out. And I'm standing in this auditorium and all these administrators are there. And I'm like, can I say it? <laughs> I was like, it's it's Beethoven walks into a bar, but it's like a coffee bar, like where they serve like fancy coffees and stuff. Liar, so check it out. Liar, liar. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I digress, though. So it is Beethoven walks into a bar, and Mike Mike has two very important questions that that we need to ask you. That that's true, and uh, this is this is such an important part of the podcast. And I admit I was slightly distracted just having this vision of like Das Lied von der Erde with you know bikers or something. It would be it would be incredible. Um, <laughs> But yes, we do have we do have uh, these two very important questions to ask you, uh, which are of course inspired by the ethos of this podcast, and those questions are as follows. So, number one, um, what are your favorite beverages of choice? If you were in a bar, or a cafe, or well, anywhere with uh, Mr. Ludwig von Beethoven, and you were going to enjoy a beverage with him, what what might you? enjoy. And then secondly, as you're having this beverage with Mr. Beethoven, what would you want to ask Beethoven? Okay, Maggie, who's going first? All right. (laughs) I'm going to, since I'm going to be um, over there in Europe, I think I'm going to have a beer, a dark beer. Excellent choice. um, With with Beethoven, because that seems kind of, you know, that style of of, of person. I'd like to ask him, you know, who does his hair, but that probably isn't really that important. Um, um, I I heard that he had studied under uh, Mozart and Haydn and Salieri, and I wondered if he could maybe give me some hints on which one he liked the best. Ooh. Or... You know, do you like, did you like studying under Mozart briefly? Was Haydn okay? Or, you know, who was your favorite? That would be my question. That's a great question. I have a little poem about my favorite drink. Oh. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read my little poem. Doug is going and, for and- the win. <laughs> we have never had anyone oh, recite a poem. shoot. <laughs> Please. Well, here goes. Here goes. I'm calling it up in here now. A drink with something in it by Ogden Nash. There is something about a martini, a tingle remarkably pleasant, a yellow, a mellow martini. I wish I had one at present. There is something about a martini, ere the dining and dancing begin, and to tell you the truth, it is not the vermouth. I think perhaps it's the gin. 
Thank you. <laughs> Bravo. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know you could win at this, but you just did. Doug won the podcast. You won the he podcast. Won. No question. I've just been waiting to use that poem somewhere, and I went, "This is it. I got to use that poem now." I didn't know I had to have a favorite drink. Well, that's no fair. That's okay, Maggie. You win. You win at yeah, everything yeah. else. I well, have a feeling. Okay. I'll tell you a secret that when I have a martini. Generally, you know, uh, Maggie is having one also. So I know she's. It's Towie after after a busy day in the theater. That's a lovely thing to have. So, and as far as my question, gosh, um, well, my first thought was, well, is it a contemporary question I'd ask, or do I have to stay period? So I thought I'll stay period, and my question to him would be, what's your favorite Shakespeare play? Ooh. Oh, oh! I like yeah. that question. Yeah, because so many, you know, there's so much classical music that you know is based on one play or another, and and I have, I thought, well, you know, he would definitely be familiar with Shakespeare's work, but uh, um, uh, just 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 a curious question. I love that. Well, those are both great questions, and I have to say, I mean, quite original. We, you know, we've had we've. We've asked this of a lot of people now, and you know there are many, many original answers. But there's there's some overlap certainly uh, that happens frequently. Those are those are two totally original questions, and I think they're great ones. Absolutely. Well, Doug and Maggie, thank you so much for joining us today. We I I, I cannot wait to <laughs> see you in person and. Uh, experience the concert and just see how you interact with the audience, with the musicians, um, see how everybody reacts to you. We're just, we're thrilled to have you and can't wait. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, this has been fun. Thank you so much. This is great. Can't wait to see you. Thank you both. So remember to rate, review, and subscribe. And come and see Doug and Maggie of Magic Circle Mimes perform with the Kansas City Symphony on Sunday, November 6th at 2 p.m. in Hellsberg Hall at the Kauffman Center for the Performing Arts. Family Series subscriptions are a great deal and also a great way to introduce the children in your life to the orchestra. In addition to the listener, family subscriptions include everyone's holiday favorite, Christmas Festival, a new film featuring animation and live orchestra called Philharmonia Fantastique, and a program featuring music, photography, and video inspired by animals, all from our very own Kansas City Zoo. Reserve your tickets and subscriptions at kcsymphony.org. And next time on Beethoven Walks Into a Bar, we meet guest conductor Aziz Shokakimov, who will lead the Kansas City Symphony in Smetna's Overture to the Bartered Bride, Dvorak's Eighth Symphony. Ooh, I should probably get to work on practicing that. And Prokofiev's Second Piano Concerto with fellow Uzbek Bezod Abdurimov. We'll chat about Aziz's conducting experience in and out of the opera pit, his crazy schedule traveling literally all over the globe, and we'll undoubtedly chat about Beethoven barbecue and perhaps even some Uzbek cuisine all next time on Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. 